Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We are now offering virtual tours to celebrate the 200th anniversary of Mother Seton's death. These half-hour tours bring you within the home of a saint, and you can visit from the safety of your own home. Learn more at setonshrine.org slash virtual tours. Now here's Father Ted. With our current meteorological situation, I was thinking perhaps of improving the Sunday Gospel and maybe comparing the situation to Narnia and the hundred years of winter and how the wicked witch out there is symbol for sin and Satan. But I thought it might be better just to talk about the Gospel instead. Last Sunday we um, celebrated the second annual Sunday of the Word of God. And it came up that you know, if you don't know scriptures, you're not going to be very intimate, very close to Jesus Christ. Because the people that neglect to read, to meditate, to study the scriptures are very often somehow lacking in their knowledge of the Catholic faith. And so a number of professionals and scientists in, these, in our day will perhaps deny the validity of the celibate life. They will say there's no reason for it, or it's unhealthy, it's damaging to somebody's maturation process. St. Paul has a very different conviction. Another thing that might happen if you neglect the scripture, another truth which you might fail to observe, is the reality of the devil. The devil is, some, is a person who comes up from the beginning of Scripture until the very end of Scripture. But despite that, there are certain scholars who will find it very fashionable, especially for the last 200 years, to deny the existence of this fallen angel. They will say that it is a kind of simplistic superstition to say that there's actually a devil existing somewhere or they write it off as a literary tool saying, the devil is just the personification of personal sin and institutional evil. For example, using that kind of argument, saying he's just a literary tool, there was the head of a religious congregation in recent years who outright denied the existence of the devil. But you have to take what he says, this, the head of this religious order, with a grain of salt, because he also said we don't know for sure what Jesus said because they didn't have voice recorders in the days of Jesus. So maybe we know what he said, but it's not certain. But for those of us who believe that the scriptures is the inspired word of God and they teach nothing but the truth, there can be no doubt. From Genesis to Revelation, the figure of Satan comes up again and again. And our gospel today is a good example of one which just presupposes his existence, and it also shows us what part this fallen angel plays in Christ's mission here on earth. So in our gospel, we saw our Lord come into the synagogue on Saturday. He is teaching. Everybody's amazed at what he says, the authority with which he proclaims his, the word. And then immediately this possessed man comes into the midst. Now that's a very surprising affair for anybody. Just imagine if some possessed person were to come into our church today. We would all be very shocked and surprised and we might be a little confused as to what to do. But our Lord has no such conundrum. 
The devil, through this man that he possesses, he asks an interesting question. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And this is an interesting question, followed by a, a almost profession of faith. It's an interesting question because the devil acknowledges who Jesus is, and he also recognizes that Jesus has come to destroy him. Because he asks the question, but it's a rhetorical question. Have you come to destroy us? Well, duh. Jesus has not come to save you. Jesus has not come to protect you, to empower you. The Holy One of God comes to destroy the power of Satan, and the devil inside this man knows it. And the concept of the devil being destroyed contains this cryptic allusion to the first prophetic, uh, the first messianic prophecy that we find in the book of Genesis. Because back in the book of Genesis, we might remember there was original sin, and then right after original sin, our Lord promises a redeemer. Our Lord, the Lord God promises a savior. He says that the offspring of the woman, Eve, will crush the head of the serpent and destroy the offspring of the serpent as well. And the ancient Jews interpreted this as a reference to the Messiah. So they said, when the Messiah comes, he's going to do this. He's going to crush the head of the Satan. He's going to have power over the demonic forces in the world. He will cast the evil one out. And so by recognizing Jesus' capacity to do that, the devil is in a sense recognizing him as the Messiah. That's something which everybody was expecting the Messiah to do. And this is a fundamental part of our Lord's mission. This is key to what Jesus came to do. Mark starts off his gospel essentially with this very powerful passage. Matthew starts off his gospel with the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is a teacher there. Luke starts off his gospel with a homily about how everybody can be saved because Luke is writing to Gentiles. He wants to tell them they too can be saved. John starts off his gospel at the wedding feast at Cana because he wants to demonstrate that our Lord is trying to betroth mankind to God, trying to unite, as in a wedding, mankind with God. Mark starts off his gospel with an exorcism to show that our Lord is coming to cast out the evil one. And throughout his gospel, Mark is going to be emphasizing and reiterating the same point. So the unpardonable sin, for example, in the gospel of Mark, is to misinterpret Jesus' exorcisms as being the work of the devil. That's as bad as it gets, to say that he's casting out Satan with the power of Satan. When he sends out the... 70 apostles, 70 disciples to evangelize, the first thing he does, the first power he gives them is the power to cast out the evil spirits. And the first thing they tell him when they come back is, we cast out many spirits in your name. And he tells them that he rejoiced because he saw Satan falling from the sky. And on and on and on. There are too many exorcisms even to count in the Gospel of Mark. And in other parts of scripture, we see the similar phrases, similar allusions, that Jesus came to cast out the devil. So in Colossians, for example, it says, Christ has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. Paul
Paul said that God gave him the mission of overthrowing, or rather of turning people from the power of Satan. And in John's first letter, he says that Christ, the Son of God, was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. Now, that's not the only thing he came to do. We know that. It's not as if he just showed up and he cast out the devil and he left. The Catechism tells us a bunch of reasons why our Lord came to earth, more positive reasons we can say. He came to reconcile us with the Father. He came to be a model of holiness. He came to show us the love of God for us. But before those things could be accomplished, he had to expel the evil one. He had to cast out Satan. That's why in baptism, before the Holy Spirit comes into our souls, there's an exorcism. We cast out Satan. We drive the evil spirit and all of his influence out of the about-to-be-baptized person. And then the child, or the adult, is baptized. Because you must first clear the ground. Before you can put the salt on the sidewalk, you've got to clear the snow away. So Christ is our all-powerful captain who came to break Satan's hold over mankind. Now what about us? What do we do in this process? Do we just sit by the, on the sidelines and just cheer our Lord on, saying, good job, keep it up? I mean, we could try to do that, but it's not going to work, because in the game of life, there are no sidelines. Satan does not play fair. He does not wait, us, wait for us to get onto the field before he tackles us. From the day that we hit the age of reason, we are engaged in spiritual warfare, whether we like it or not. Now, that does not mean that all of us who fall into sin are going to be possessed. That very rarely happens. But yes, the devil will attack us with other, more subtle means. He will try and divide us against each other. Families against each other, us against the church, so on and so forth. So he is working. Satan is trying to get us. And it can be rather intimidating if you consider who we're up against. Because, you know, we've all seen the, uh, the fantastic exorcism movies with these horrifying figures and these just incredibly fictionalized accounts of exorcism and possession. And that's not real, as they recounted. But the devil is real. And he's a very powerful individual. He's a fallen angel, which means that he is smarter than us. He has greater willpower than us. He is on a higher grade of created being than us. And it's traditionally believed that there are more devils than there are human beings who have ever existed. And on top of that, like John Paul II said, as the power of God in society decreases, the power of Satan increases in the world. So it can seem intimidating, but let's not forget who our allies are. First of all, we have the God, Jesus, infinitude on our side. Then we have the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Queen of Heaven and Earth, the Queen of Angels, interceding for us. Saint Joseph, who is called the Terror of Demons. We have all the heavenly hosts, all the saints who have gone before us. The souls in purgatory even are praying for us. And let us not forget the hosts 
of good angels who have not fallen, they too are with us. And so not only is our side infinitely more powerful, but victory has already been assured. Yes, at times it can seem like the devil is winning, but its side has none of the strength that our side does. The Father allows some victories for the evil one, but only for the sake of a greater victory of good in the end. So we need to prepare ourselves. We need to put on what Paul calls the armor of God, because it is either fight or die. We are either with Satan or against Satan. If we just, if we simply allow ourselves to be taken along by the current, we eventually will be swept off the falls. So alone and unaided, we cannot hope to stand. So let us foster devotion to our spiritual allies. Pray daily to our guardian angel, whose mission is to protect us. Consecrate ourselves to St. Joseph in this year that is dedicated to him. Call upon the all-powerful intercession of the Mother of God. Because the devil fears her more than he fears God, according to St. Louis de Montfort. Because it's much more humiliating for him to be obedient to and defeated by a human being than it is by God. So to her, who is more terrifying than who is more terrifying to Satan than an army arrayed for battle, let us entrust ourselves with the confidence that she will keep us free from the wickedness and snares of the devil who Christ came to cast out.